Locutus are born. Resistance is futile. I'm Paul Matsko, and the opening clip gives you a little hint about our subject today. Cool new tech in the health wearable market. Everything from exoskeletons to breast pumps. Yet the companies involved are typically very careful to specify that their products are not medical devices. Why? Well, because once they do, they're under FDA regulation, which has stalled progress in the medical device industry over the past four decades. With me as we discuss this subject is our very own William the Bionic Man Duffield. More on that later. And for the very first time on this side of the producer producer studio's plexiglass is test terrible, or as the French would say, test terrible, right? On the topic of Frenchy things, why don't you kick us off, test by talking about L'Oreal's new product? Did I say that right, L'Oreal? I think it's really funny that you think I brought up the L'Oreal topic. Yeah, that was it was mine. actually that Will. Was mine. <laughs> it's so sexist. Oh damn! All right, Way to go, well, patriarchy. yeah, it really is. I just assumed. It's just assumed. All right. So, Will, kick us off. Oh, all right. Well, um, L'Oreal's getting into the wearable space with um, – they had a UV tracker that you could wear kind of tech device and now a skin pH tracker that just sticks to your skin. Okay. can go in water seemingly. So you, like a, we wear it to the beach, wherever else. Nicotine patch looking kind of thing? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Along those lines, a little more exposed circuitry. But – um. And the idea is that for certain folks with dermatological trouble, um, something like this, a real-time or overtime understanding of your skin pH Mm -hmm. can help to better – allow you to better pick the sorts of skincare products that will improve your skin, um, reduce breakouts, whatever else. So it's – it sits at an interesting nexus of sort of – cosmetology mm-hmm. and a healthcare product because you're talking about L'Oreal, which makes skincare goods, um, but a product really marketed towards those who have long-term dermatological trouble. And the fact that we see L'Oreal getting into this space producing wearable technologies, I think lends some credence or or respectability to the space writ large mm-hmm. because you have an established player rather than some startup um, coming to the game for the first time who's recognized that the wearable market is an important one, is one with a future. Well, I, I wonder if it also matters. So I was just talking with uh, Peter Van Doren, a PVD, as he's known on the sixth floor, uh, about this. And two of the fields that libertarians like to poke on as examples of uh, unregulated or deregulated medical markets are dermatology um, and like LASIK, so optometry and dermatology, where essentially for – it's just – it's kind of arbitrary, but when all the, the laws were passed about what counts as essential versus non-essential medical care, those got – those were considered non-essential. Even though we're talking about shooting lasers into your eyes with LASIK, it's, it's non-essential. And so we've seen you can actually do innovative stuff like this when it's up against dermatology that you couldn't do if it was something that was considered essential healthcare medical device type stuff. So I find that interesting too. Like there's an opening for L'Oreal to do that. Um, whereas if they were designing like a hip replacement. Yeah, as a result of a completely artificial distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of an odd thing. Uh now Tess, I do know this for sure that you brought up Apple Watches. 
I did bring up Apple Watches, and the funny thing about that is I don't even wear an Apple Watch, and that's <laughs> not because I'm afraid that Apple Watches will be or an Apple Watch who is not sponsoring this podcast today. <laughs> right. None, None of, of the products, products yeah. that we're talking about today are sponsoring our podcast. Um, I think the Apple Watches and the other kind of tracking watches, the Fitbit, <clears throat> I, I don't wear one just because I think they're kind of ugly. <laughs> but yeah, we, we wanted to talk about um, wearable tech and where that's going. And um, I suppose how we that's contributing to um, the free market. I think what's interesting about what you've you've pointed this to here, Tess, is and we can go back to some of the other wearable applications of this tech here um, is the extent to which. So an Apple Watch functions by attaching to your cell phone. And in a bit here, we're going to talk about apps, uh, uh, medical monitoring apps and the like. But before we get to the to the app ecosystem, there's that. What's funny is that cell phones themselves are becoming medical devices in a sense, right? Like wearable tech. We're talking about patches. We're talking about things you latch around your wrist. But what happens about that really powerful computing device that most people carry with them in a pocket or in their you know purse or bag everywhere they go? That itself can be a medical device, but it's not considered one by the FDA. Uh, interestingly. Um, there was something else too. So we have everything from uh, our cell phones, our Apple Watches, monitoring our health. I've seen applications of that tech that you can track your heart rate. I mean, the watches on your wrist or so there are applications of wrist watches that will, you know, they're checking your pulse constantly. You can always keep track of your, your heartbeat, your pulse. Um, there are L'Oreal with, with patches that you can wear. Um, there's industrial applications, uh, exoskeletons, uh, something that you've brought up, Will, um, where, I mean, this can make workers more efficient. Yeah, and, and, and not just make them more efficient, but reduce the stress that the labor they're doing places on their bodies. And I think that's that's the real value add. It's one thing to be sort of cold and say, well, they can work more quickly now. They can carry heavier loads. But I think the, the real benefit is that yeah. they're doing less damage to their spines while, while yeah, doing yeah. so um, or being able to lift things more safely by displacing loads onto their hips that otherwise couldn't be. Um, so that's uh, – I think I saw one of those exoskeletons where it was actually pretty simple. The the, the first application was, uh, what was this, exobionics where – it's really primarily less about lifting heavy objects, though there are exoskeletons that let you do that, and more about actually just once you have a tool in place, it kind of locks it in place for you. So you have a you have some kind of um, you know pneumatic drill or hammer that uh, weighs seventy five pounds or something. It's overhead and you're underneath like a airplane part or a car part welding things, holding it there for long periods of time all day long. I mean that's gonna that's gonna do terrible things to your spine. To your point, well, too. Yeah, and and as workers are increasingly competing with machines, in a sense, it it allows them to keep up. Mm, um, interesting. You know, when if if you can combine human judgment and perhaps finesse with yes, the the lasting power um, of of a servo, just you know lifting something up or locking it in place, um, you get a more than the sum of the parts, as, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, now, 
test. I think I, I had a few more applications on here about like it's not all that different than the L'Oreal thing. So you know, if you're if if someone's a parent, you can imagine take the L'Oreal patch idea and apply it to a thermometer for your baby. Because here's the thing: when you're a new parent, um, you're constantly whenever the kid's sick, they get a temp and they run higher temps than adults. So like a 104 isn't as impressive as it sounds for an adult. But you're supposed to get that reading like three times over four hours before you're supposed to like call the doctor. Well, Wems, if you, you didn't have to, every time you do that, you're waking your baby up. They don't generally like having things stuck in them or on them. Wems, if it just passively monitor, you, you slap that patch on, you can tell what their temp profile is that whole period. It just makes all that easier, simpler, less of a headache, and arguably more accurate than some of the the, temp, the thermometer tech that's out there. So I, there's other applications. I don't think we have to on uh, on babies and and childcare. Um, I guess a more generally, we're investing a lot in cameras, webcams, um, communications technology. And while you once saw and still with regard to baby-centric surveillance products, as it were, a mm -hmm. baby monitor. Mm -hmm. um, you see a, a premium um, on, on those. The cost of webcams is falling across the board such that for a parent now, in many cases, you might as well just avoid the specific baby monitor and just get a cheap web-connected yeah. uh, camera. Um, like the security cameras, they have night vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, and while that was once you know, a dedicated baby market um, and still for it is, is pricier, I think we're, you're seeing that change. Um, good, good for parents on, on the margins. And I think in a way, unfortunately, the baby-centric tech, the baby monitor tech is kind of the entry point for regulation mm -hmm. because we see so much regulation already on what nursing mothers and expecting mothers should or should not consume um, pre and post the birth of their child and what babies and toddlers should and should not be exposed to. So in a way, bringing it back to tech regulation and the massive boom in health technology that we're seeing today, I do think this is a subject area that is in most risk, risk excuse me, of being heavily regulated in the future. Hmm. Yeah, those, I mean, there are all kinds of prenatal guidelines that a lot of times it's passed down by, you know, quasi-government um, supported cartels like the American Medical Association or PGA. Yeah, it's like the food pyramid kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But it has a lot of sway over what pediatricians recommend to, or in, you know, neonatal doctors oh, recommend just parents, to parents as well. It's scary to have a kid. It's a whole new, yeah. new universe, and you look for sources of authority. Well, and you can imagine too. I mean, so let's say uh, I saw one application. Now, again, they claim not to be a medical device, and we'll get to why. You know, again, we'll return to why that's significant. But they're trying to combat SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, um, by monitoring babies' breathing patterns and you know, heart rate and the noises they make while they sleep with the idea that if the baby stops doing following sort of normal pattern, it'll tell the parents. The parents can go in and, and rouse the baby. Um, well, that is clearly, obviously, a medical a medical device, even if you don't call it that. 
And so Don't you can imagine. Don't say that. Don't say that on the podcast. <laughs> that's right. You'll get yeah. them in trouble. <laughs> the FDA might be listening. That's right. Uh, never mind that. Uh, that's obviously not medical, uh, FDA commissioner. Um, so, I mean, I, but I think to your point that a lot of this stuff, it's been exempted. There's been a kind of salutary neglect where the government hasn't regulated it very closely up until uh, recently. But there's no reason why it has to be that way. You can imagine a more – maybe the consumer consumer product activists, you know, the um, uh, uh, your Ralph Nader types, a new generation of Ralph Naders will be like we need to r- regulate. I mean you well, can see the it. More, that... The more data that these oh, yeah. sorts of products gather, the more you get into COPPA territory potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean I've never seen it applied to yeah, – Explain that a little. So COPPA is the Children's Online Protection Act. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there's another P in there. But um, <laughs> it's what why you see rules that you must be 13 or older to use pretty much any kind of social media. Um, you see most present violations probably occurring in the children's app space when you look at uh, – Kids getting tablets with all kinds of games or even YouTube style videos for them. Um, I, I think you frankly have COPPA violations abound in that space right now. And uh, it's surprising to me every day that you don't see some kind of FTC action or you know fines imposed, whatever. If they wanted to, they could certainly get a, a few pounds of flesh. <laughs> Have you seen those um, ads about the creepy, fake, like, or automated kids' videos showing up on, like, the Kindle Yeah, they have neural nets that just (laughs) generate this stuff. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's very surreal. Please explain this to me. It's like, um, I don't know, almost sort of too many cooks style videos for kids (laughs) where it's, like, past. That itself is a reference of the reference. (laughs) Generating these things um, based on other cartoons that appeal to children. And it's very uncanny valley. So like the, the you know, their artificial intelligence or whatever will say, look, this video did well that featured, um, you know, Daddy Shark, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll take that and then but, – but also this video with uh, Spider-Man did well. And then suddenly it, gen- it auto-generates this like weird video. Horrifying Spider-Shark. Spider-Shark having adventures and weird – it's just really creepy weird stuff. Um it feels like and it, what, it'll pop up like you know your kid watches YouTube and the thing auto plays the next thing and suddenly they're playing something. almost like what you know <laughs> tweens used to watch to scare themselves a couple of yeah. years ago. It yeah. feels a little Slenderman esque. Yeah. But to your um, point, I mean, you can see this as a cop. All these things as like these platforms need to more rigorously police their content or else they're in violation. Of... Just stop collecting data on from from children. Yeah, yeah. It's identifying that a child is the one watching the thing. And yeah, and. I think it was our um, editor and director of libertarianism.org, Aaron Powell, who mentioned a couple episodes ago that we are seeing the first generation that is almost completely being brought up on technology and iPads and iPods, and we still don't completely know the ramifications Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of that and notably the health ramifications of that. Um, I popped in couple episodes to talk about uh, an app I was using on my iPhone to cut my screen time. And I was also seeing around the holidays, we're recording this in January, a lot of commercials for, you know, different 
applications that Comcast and Xfinity are providing to cut your children's screen time, that cutting your Wi-Fi off. And I often wonder, is that more for the parents or is that more Mm -hmm. for the child's sake Mm -hmm. that we just don't know what this, um, I don't know if we can call it, safely call it an overuse of screen time, but this just abundance of screen time available to small minds is going to do in the future. Yeah. Well, and there's when the calls for regulation do come, they would come under think of the children, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's easy to imagine the, uh, the, the rhetoric behind, behind that. Um, so we have cool applications in baby toddler space. I mean, and, and set aside, like whatever we feel about creepy YouTube videos, as a parent, I would have loved a patch thermometer or a skin monitor from L'Oreal from, you know, whatever, my rash, rashes and things or, or whatever. I mean, this all sounds like really attractive technology. Um, but it goes all the way through the life cycle, right? So it's kids, it's people like us, adults, and then the elderly as well. And I think this is something you highlighted, Will, which was um, what the applications of like the exoskeleton yeah, tech for Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not just for workers, but um, you think of the number of folks these days who when they get to a certain age, they just can't lift their bodies out of a chair anymore. And they need to get a walker at mm-hmm. that point, something they can kind of hold on to to drag themselves up. And given where these exoskeletons are today, I think it's very likely that any of us speaking here or anyone listening under the age of 40 or so will probably never have to deal with a walker Mm -hmm. because by the time they're that age, they'll have something they strap onto their legs that helps to pull them up out of that chair Um, or even locks in place to sort of provide a, a chair or some support to rest and stand Mm. um, wherever you are, whenever you'd like. Um, When we think about elderly, both mobility, but also through it, their ability to get out and participate in their Mm. community, Mm -hmm. maintain Mm -hmm. social ties, you can imagine this sort of thing being very beneficial, even at the the old folks' home sort of stage, just not needing to buzz a nurse to get up, yeah. oh, but yeah. to be able to stand up and walk over to your neighbor to borrow a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, that that really matters. There's a real dignity gain oh, there. Yeah, yeah really. And um, well, it's easy to kind of discount some of this stuff now before you see that, before it becomes normal. Um, I think we'll be surprised yeah. at how valued it is. So I'm going to put on my, uh, you know, Simpsons, Mr. Burns hat here and go full like. Well, he doesn't need Smithers so, anymore. <laughs> you can imagine a, a, the the nightmarish version of this. It's like all these texts have the nightmare version, the Black Mirror version. Um, and the version of this is where like, well, now the elderly aren't just going to be Walmart greeters. We can put the exoskeletons on and have them riveting joints in the air, airplane factory again. Oh, that's, that's good. I mean, no one's nightmare should involve their parents being able to walk over and visit them when they'd like. No, I know. You know? I know. Yeah, no, that's that's the more realistic use case. Um, or and think of what this will do for, uh, you know, the disabled community who, you know, who, who might have traditionally been you know, some who are, are bound in a wheelchair, right? Who now yeah, can Yeah, I mean, and then more broadly, assisted. if if you can walk, you need less uh, ADA ramps everywhere. Yeah. Um, but like the the you know babies and children, the disabled community is a really vulnerable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. community. So that again could be where we see this regulation come in, like really full force. Yeah. 
And I've got to come back to this that like I almost see it as like just a ticking clock of it's not if regulation is going to come swooping in to interfere with this technology and this technological development. It's just when. Yeah. Well, especially given that all of this tech, I mean, by its nature, tech starts off expensive and gets cheaper over time. The cost of an exoskeleton is quite steep right now. The first generation of these as consumer goods is going to be expensive. So imagine a world in which only wealthy elderly or at first, first couple of years, wealthy elderly, disabled, wealthy, disabled folks are able to use this tech. There's going to be a lot of pushback against well, the inequality that's baked into the I, development I'm, process. I'm pretty optimistic, I think. If for no other fact than the age of our our Congress and legislators, they're getting up there. <laughs> That's right. I mean, average age is in the fifties. Democratic leadership's all above seventy. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. need this stuff. So you're telling you me, you know, we we think yeah. that when they talk about social media, you know, they seem inept <laughs> and uninformed because they don't rely upon it in the same way. Yeah, but yeah. if somebody's coming for their their exo legs that they need to <laughs> to walk into the House chambers and vote and all of yeah, that, yeah. Um, I think they'll be much more skeptical of regulation than you may uh, give them credit for. I'm sure there's somewhere there's a Bernie bro with a, a fantasy of him in like full exoskeleton, like alien style Ripley suit. Yeah, well, then it'll just be why, why do you need more than one style of exoskeleton? <laughs> right. You know, you've got the basic model. It's fine. It gets me around Burlington and that's that's all anyone needs. Yeah. To get around Burlington. <laughs> But it's a are, very small city. Is it a yeah, small city? It's a pretty it's small a nice city. Place. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're pro-Burlington. I love Burlington. Uh, secretly, we are being paid by the Burlington Chamber of Commerce. Oh Isn't that right, The Tess? coat no, factory no. got to us. <laughs> is that from that Burlington? Oh, I think that. it's from that Burlington. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. So lots of cool stuff going on the wearables. I think you're right, Tess, that we should be aware right now this space is broadly speaking un unregulated. Um and that's actually made this innovation possible. But I think we should have on our radar potential regulatory threats. Um, before we get to the next section, so I referenced this in the opening, but we have our own bionic man. Will, why you, you have a it's a it's a chip? Yeah, talk about things hand. people might want to regulate. Um, before you start, I gotta say I feel like we're being punked. And for those of you, you that don't you know what punked are, I like I literally don't believe Poke you. It. Poke it. Are you sure? I don't so want to hurt you. I have an NFC chip that in my like left hand. No, no, it's a little bioglass capsule <laughs> with a sealed antenna and uh, a, know, a small bit of of memory in there. Um, such that I can hold about a, a megabyte of data megabyte. in my hand, <laughs> um, wander around with it. The NFC tag itself sits inert. It doesn't need a battery. It's powered through induction when it gets close to a reader. Now, that could be a door lock, you know, some kind of mm -hmm. key card access system, except the, the key card is in my hand. Does this work at Kato? Um, are we, we going to set it up so you can scan I, Kato with it? You know, most most of those big, big systems don't play too yeah, well yeah. or want to uh, hand out permissions to something like this. But um, good. I yeah. did – I built a lockbox at one point that I can open with my hand. So I have a little safe that way. Um, you can also just store information on it to then hand off to others. I can put my business card encoded on it, my address, a sort of Android contact form. 
and then someone can tap their phone against my hand and get my contact info. Um, the chip itself is made by a company called Dangerous Things. They will send you over the internet um, one of these, either this, again, a bioglass capsule with the antenna in it, or now they even have uh, a flexible tag, which is a little harder to put in. But um, the one I got, I ordered it online. I was living in London at the time, so it arrived there unmolested by customs, somewhat to my surprise. I found a local body modification artist who was willing to install it. I could have tried to put it in myself. It came with a syringe, but um, I didn't didn't really want to make that attempt. Just yeah, me. Yeah. Um, Good call on that, Will. I mean, I don't know about the chip itself, but not doing it yourself. Yeah, first some time. some sense. Um, so I show up at this uh, fellow's flat in East London. Um, he and his wife both look somewhat like characters out of Hellraiser or something. <laughs> Got big subdermal horns and great outfits. Um, pretty well-appointed sort of tattoo parlor looking mm. studio. Are the horns actually USB keys? Like mm, in the Sadly not, but um, <laughs> colorful. Um, sit down in a, yeah, again, like a tattooing chair. They uh, give me yeah. a local anesthetic and take the tag in a syringe and punch it into my hand. And really the only ill effect was that I was, I was my hand was numb for the rest of the afternoon because of the anesthetic. I had trouble holding a pint. Um, and for the next maybe two, three weeks, I had a slight itching sensation there as the skin grew back around it. But at this point, I really don't notice that it's there most mornings until I have some trigger cause to remember it. Um, it just sits there and, you know, until I either tap my phone against it, which I can reprogram it whenever I want, do whatever, um, it's there. Now, so, it's not all that useful practically, but it's, it's kind of fun. And my question going in was, <laughs> would I feel differently about myself for having this? Yeah, yeah. And the answer is no. I haven't lost any of my dignity for it. Okay. Well, so I, I, Tess is jumping to ask you to, just, to, do, to am, try implanting yeah, one in her. I am yeah. still baffled by this, and I still like don't 100% believe you. But the more you talked, the more <clears throat> it it kind of reminds me of, you know, I don't have a dog, but those chips that you put in your dog oh, yeah. mm -hmm. to keep them from, I don't know, running Wander away, away yeah, or yeah. like if someone finds them and they you get a chip in your in the dog, then you it'll go back to the owner. So I guess I understand that, but I'm still like I'm so I, I worry sometimes I mean, yeah. about losing will and not Do being you? able to find <laughs> Well so so the thing is with it being near field communication, you can't track me with right, it. Right. Um But when you show the, up at the pounds, they'll scan it and Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. When when they take me in. Um that would be I, I don't know how the police would react to that. I wouldn't yeah. really want them Probably trying to pull to some tag yeah. out of me. Yeah. Um So what so I mean it's I, it's a novelty as it yeah. For you, um, so what be, but is there a use case for this beyond like this is a cool thing to do? Which and that's hey, we're we're I down mean, with doing everything cool we've gone contactless with. You could do with an NFC tag in in your body. Right. Um, so you know your payment cards. You could right. presumably you don't have to worry about leaving your wallet. Um, so I mean. 
I guess it makes a certain amount of sense as something like before phones became as functional as they are. Because like right now, we all carry a much more able thing around with us than that chip. I mean, that's one megabyte. This is gigabytes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Apple I'm not Pay. viewing it's... media on it. But um... – right. But it kind of makes sense as like if we didn't have smartphones. Well, and for any of the, the... the authentication functions mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we use phones for, we can imagine this being valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, you could have an NFC door lock, but you're much more likely to forget your phone and keys True. than you are to forget your hand. I like that. Yeah, you just kind of as, – as you turn the handle, it senses that you're a legitimate – Yeah, yeah. And that's something if I weren't renting right now, I might have installed one. Yeah. But, uh, I mean I looked – I mean people these days are installing you know, numeric ones. That's becoming increasingly standard. This is a step beyond even that. Yeah. Maybe I listen to too many true crime podcasts and too much like <laughs> science fiction podcasts, but I've got to come back to – the possible ramifications, you know, good and bad. I can see, you know, this this type of tracking device that you physically can't lose, and I lose my cell phone about twice well, a day. It's not tracking because I mean, the, the the antenna you would need in order to activate it okay. to give it enough power okay. to turn on yeah. increases exponentially with distance. Sure. It would be so my much. phone, I tap against it, but if you want to get me from the other side of the room, you start needing like a big box antenna. I would be worried about like I would be worried about kidnappers like taking lopping off your hand and using it to open your lockbox. But yeah, but they have me. to know about it first. So as far as mis- misuse, Never the, the avenues <laughs> I, I see are you know, one hacking attempts. Um, yeah. You know, say I'm I'm much better looking than I am at at present, don't, and uh, you know, out, outside <laughs> uh, Capitol Grill at night, yeah. I chat up some congressman. I say I'm lost, and could I could I borrow his phone to call a ride? Somebody mm-hmm. come pick me up. I pick up his phone, and meanwhile, the chip in my hand is delivering some viral payload to the device itself, which then allows me to listen to his calls later. Um, That's certainly within the realm of possibility, and given that it's inside rather than him seeing me tap something against his phone, it's a little more surreptitious. That sounds like some great fiction. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to kind of try it, though, just out in the real world, you know, (laughs) with a friend set it up. to see whether what what Not you could really uh, fire in, um, as well, just uh, certain you, you can travel with data. You think of um, uh, Glenn Greenwald's boyfriend, um, say Ma- Manuel Mar- Miranda, David Miranda, yeah, maybe so, yeah. um, was traveling through Heathrow with some Snowden documents and was held up. For almost a day, um, they wanted him to disclose passwords to turn over the data he was ca- carrying. And with something like this, for at least a small amount of data, but if you're thinking text files, you could get yep. a lot. Yeah. Um, that could be a pretty surreptitious data mule. <laughs> it's a it's a backup career. Yeah. Maybe you it's know. I idea. assume you could put a cold cold wallet on you should it. Be able um, to. I'm not. I'm sure not a crypto they, guy, since but since they uh, put it in, I'm sure the capacity. There's no money on my hand for any listeners <laughs> getting right. ideas. Don't kidnap Will. We will find you at the pound, and uh, there's no my money. Hand. Hand. Did it hurt at uh, all? They gave me a local anesthetic, so I really <laughs> felt nothing. Um, so okay, so we have lots of cool wearable devices. This goes a step beyond that: implantable devices. Um, I think for most people right now, the this kind of quasi-medical device world isn't a device per se at all. It is stuff on your phone. It is apps, apps that we use to help track 
our uh, our health and our behavior. Um, so I, I've used the calorie counter in the past. I don't, I don't have that much experience with this. And I think it's something that you ha- you've talked about some more. Um, so why don't you flesh that out for us, Tess? So I'm not a tech expert like you guys are, but most of, so most of what I'm going to say is anecdotal at best. But I can say that in 2016, I changed my eating habits pretty drastically and lost some weight. And I used my fitness pal for mm-hmm. a total of a year. Um, and when we were talking about this yesterday, I mean, my fitness pal is kind of a staple with anyone that has a phone. So it doesn't seem to be that big of an innovation. But my argument that is that it really is. If you think about nutrition, if you think about the health, health and fitness industry, these are really expensive services. Getting a nutritionist is really expensive. Getting a, a personal trainer is really expensive. And so I think we really under-recognize the enormous um has like a democratizing yeah yeah exactly exactly and it goes way beyond my fitness pal um i have a couple people in my life that live with chronic illnesses including my father who's been a diabetic for about 15 years and um Tracking diabetes is kind of uh, timely, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it uh, takes a lot out of you. It involves a lot of doctor's appointments and a lot of information. And now he does that completely online. Oh, cool. Through the touch of a button, he sends to his doctor everything he's eaten in the last month or so, um, what his blood sugar looks like if he's ever had hypoglycemia, because you can so easily track now that and it's such it's really easy to look over that data which otherwise might be a little difficult so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic on these apps that go beyond you know weight loss and tracking chronic illnesses i mean we see a ton of apps for um sleep and meditation and i'm also seeing a couple pop up in the mental illness industry where um, like diet and exercise, going to therapy is expensive. And diet, getting a proper diagnosis for a mental illness is timely and difficult because um, if you've been to a therapist before, you know that you see a therapist maybe once or twice a month. You see them for an hour and you have to summarize how you felt in that time period in the case of 50 minutes, the therapeutic hour. So I would say that I'm cautiously optimistic about these applications because they've, like you said, they've democratized our ability to monitor our health and relay information to healthcare professionals. But I'm also a little cautious. I mean, like I said, I tracked everything I ate for a year. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a lot of information for my fitness pal to have on me, such as at around, you know, this time we're recording at 345. I really want chocolate right now. Yeah. yeah. So, and you would have already had an ad, uh, you know, bought through the Google ads. Yeah. Services. For like fiber one bars. Popped up on your, you know, like, because yeah. we know that yeah. over the past year you've bought, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the, uh, Mental health apps mm-hmm. you were discussing. Sure. Some of those I was was looking over getting ready for this. And I found it interesting the number of, I guess, pre-therapy apps out there. Um, applications which would allow you to 
essentially generate the sorts of forms you fill out when you're first introduced to a therapist over time before seeing them. And when we're thinking about populations struggling with depression, with anxiety, they often really have trouble following through with things. So it's an area in which the sort of nudges and prompts that we often look askance at when thinking about apps and the the architecting of social interaction um, or, did a whole or little episode. dopamine yeah. hits, yeah. yeah, where that can actually be very helpful. Um, a, a prompt about how you were feeling that day, how you slept, um, where otherwise as small of a thing it is to record, you may really struggle to put down in words how you're feeling or what your, your yeah. sleep quality looked like. Um, That's actually so why as, as minor as that is, I don't want to overlook it mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I think it is – I was just surprised at how many of the apps seem to provide that sort of function. And and I think there's a there's a whole new world where you know the, the apps in conjunction with a wearable are you know kind of do multiple things at once. So say uh um not only does your not only does your um uh tracker that tracks your health rate and and your your beat rate, your heart rate um and your temperature, but it, it can also tell from your heart rate effectively. It can estimate how much exercise you've gotten, I just want and then the... it can prompt you: you haven't had your heart rate above this, so why don't you go? To, why don't you go take a little jog outside for fifteen minutes? Uh, to, again, it can nudge you in that direction. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what some of the. I, I'd like a arrhythmia or anxiety attack app. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it just reads my heart rate and tells me whether I'm going into arrhythmia or yeah. just anxious. <laughs> That would be useful. Sometimes yeah. you don't know. And I think it's – we should note that I think it was this past year that um, my fitness pal went through a security breach and they had mm -hmm. a hack. And, you know, that, that can make people nervous and it made me a little nervous but not too nervous. I'm not that concerned of with privacy when it comes to, you know, my eating habits. You're not going to find – that much about me other than around this time of day I want chocolate and on Fridays I usually eat pizza. Unless they but, find out that you're eating a lot of Russian borscht. A lot of Maybe Russian you're a borscht. Sleeper agent of the Yeah, yeah, <laughs> possibly. Who wants to eat Russian sleepy. borscht? It's great. It's great. But, but I'll be know. a sleepy agent afterwards. <laughs> but at the same time, like uh, some of the mental illness apps and the apps that help you track your your illness, your um your wellness in that capacity, that would make me really nervous mm, if there was a mm -hmm. hack of that capacity. I don't want someone to have that. I don't want like anyone that put me and my therapist to have that information about me. And they do. And they hack, have that. Yeah. Hacks or just, you know, sketchy apps. Um, some app that is both a mental health aid and gathering data for an ulterior purpose. Uh, when we think about the Cambridge Analytica personality quizzes, this, you know, compared to uh, what what sign you are or which friends you should do, it's an area in which you really want to avoid incidents which could discourage people from utilizing anything within the space as as a whole. Uh, but you can imagine some misuse really scaring people off. Well, we had a uh, we had this. Uh 
you know, micro-targeted data campaign guy, um, John Aristotle Phillips came on for his platform, Aristotle. And it's all about, you know, voters in this five-mile radius of this zip code who drive minivans are more likely to vote for the can this candidate for that reason. So micro-target your ads at them. Well, I'm sure he would love to get his hands on a year's worth of, of your eating data, right? Like all that the point being here, whether that's the specific application, is that this this data is valuable, and uh, it's you can imagine a lot of these apps function with a free version, and then they make money off a paid version to unlock features. But you can imagine just offering a free version and then selling the data um, as their as their path to monetization. Um, I think the last thing I want to hit on here, we kind of teased this at the outset, uh, is to make a comparison between all the fascinating, both exciting and somewhat scary applications of this tech uh, with the relative lack of innovation in the regulated medical device industry. Um, so is that, I mean, yeah, there is. So, so medical devices is everything from like a tongue depressor to uh, an insulin pump to a breast pump. All these are considered medical devices and they're regulated by the FDA. When the law was passed in the seventies, anything that kind of had a pre-existing form got grandfathered in. So when you develop a new medical device, you can go to the FDA and you can either say, we're going to do clinical, we're going to do a review process and clinical trials and all that, or it's similar enough. And I think the phrase is, so what's the phrase? Um, they call it, it's essentially like a, a near similarity. Like, rather than a biosimilar or similar. Substantially similar. So if you argue your medical device, that breast pump is substantially similar to a previous one, you don't have to go through the review process. We can imagine why this discourages really radical disruption innovation because the incentive structure is there is to just make very marginal updates to medical equipment. And if you do the whole clinical trials, it's expensive, takes a long time, might fail. So I, I think the ratio is for every clinical trial conducted, there's more than, there's like 200, no, there's a very large number of devices that go through this like grandfather clause. So this discourages innovation in the medical device market. And we, we end up with a situation where the average margins for a medical device company is between 20 and 30% which is crazy. Anyone who knows stuff about uh, like corporate margins and corporate finances, the industry average across all industries is about 7%. How much of that is just our horrible insurance model? Well, that's that's entangled I... in it too. Yeah, that's entangled in it too. So what, but what's striking is that you'll have devices that are very similar. So and I'll, I'll to your point, Will, if you go the FDA route, most of your payment comes through insurance companies and there's layers of middlemen between the customer and the producer. And so the your interest in the consumer's satisfaction is lower when you have two additional layers. We have layers of middlemen, right? But this also – so what you can see is that like – so take a – I'll use the example of a, of a breast pump. So in the approved pipeline, if you go and get your insurance to pay for a, a, a breast pump, and these days because of Obamacare, it's – you don't pay. I mean someone pays, but you don't pay. Um, design is essentially identical to about 40 years ago. A few minor updates, a little bit smaller, very similar. But there's a bunch of startups that are – they don't take insurance because if they don't take insurance, they don't have to go through this FDA you know, to get the health insurance approval, Medicaid, Medicare approval. You have to, um, you have to go through this pipeline. 
So they're doing fascinating stuff, building a better better breast pump. So like Willow's one of them. I've it's an all... something that's just like stick on there. You basically like, just stick almost it in hands your bra. free looking. Yeah, it's hands free. It will actually tell your phone, send you a notification when it's almost full. Like it just you pop. It's like <clears throat> my 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 uh, my partner is a working mother, and like what an absolute pain it was to do that while working cannot be exaggerated and how much easier this is we could have done this a decade ago but we haven't why because it's not substantially similar to previous breast pumps with cords and and tubes so again the, the irony is we've been stultifying innovation in actual medical devices and we've been forcing now the, the silver lining is that this innovation is happening outside of that channel right the downside is who can afford – you have an option between a free, outdated breast pump and a cool, new, much superior one that costs $500, $1,000. Well, who's going to be able to afford that superior breast pump? You know, people who are well off and aren't reliant yeah, on their medical and insurance. if it has real effects on child outcomes, you can imagine that effect slowly compounding over time. Yeah. Though the number of women who are frustrated with the breast pump system and then, you know – Give up, go the formula instead. Is this is not inconsequential? Um, so again, like th when you think of all the cool stuff happening in the medical device adjacent space, realize this is a story about the unintended consequences of regulation as well. So when you see that cool new product coming out of a, the consumer electronics show or the cool new app that's free for download, realize that in another world where that was regulated, that might not be happening. Right Or in a better world, your doctor would have told you about it a couple months before. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, the thing to keep in the back of our mind, the kind of libertarian angle on the story. Cool, fascinating stuff happening in the market. Uh, stultification and the, you know, a little bit of stagnation in the, in the public sector. Um, and so there's medical wearables. I, I think the, the real takeaway, though, is uh, if you kidnap Will – uh, which hand his chip is in. I don't know if we should release that on the air. No, man, keep him guessing. <laughs> keep then him, I'll lose both my hands. <laughs> I like this podcast. That's I'd like great. to keep it going. All right. Well, thanks guys for coming I in. I my hands to do this. <laughs> hands free. Hands free tech. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You'll have an exoskeleton, Will. You'll be fine. Yeah, get some big hooks. <laughs> and until next week, folks, be well. Literally. Thanks for listening. Building Tomorrow is produced by Tess Terrible. If you enjoy Building Tomorrow, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, find us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.